Pastor John said, we're going to be in the book of Jonah this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. One day I was on my way to work. It was about 7.45 in the morning, and I didn't need to be at work until 8 o'clock. I worked at Kmart and Marshall. I was driving from my parents' house, and I had several routes that I used to take between my parents' house and and Kmart, and I tried to find the most expedient route to get me to where I was going. I was driving down one of these routes, and I came around a corner, and I saw a police officer. I did what all of us do. I looked down. How fast was I going? I saw I was going a little bit too fast. My next question was, did the officer notice I was going a little too fast? Well, I found the answer out to that question when I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw him spin around and I saw his lights come on. He walked up to my car and he asked me the question, I always hate that they ask you, I'm not sure why they ask you this question, but they always ask you, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, well, I I think I was maybe going a little too fast. He informed me that I was going 37 in a 25. Ooh, you say, yeah, that's what I said too. I said, ooh, I I don't think I was going that fast. When I looked down, I don't think that was the speed that I was going. Through our conversation, I figured out that my speedometer was off in my vehicle. I had bought the vehicle used, and the speedometer was off somehow. It was off a few miles an hour. So what I thought I was doing, maybe I was going a little too fast, I was going a lot faster than that. Well, the officer wrote me a ticket, and I said, have a nice day, and I went on to work. And I started trying to think of, well, maybe I should try to fix the problem. So I I thought, well, maybe if I get the vehicle fixed and I can show that I made some effort, maybe a judge will show me mercy. So I took the vehicle to a, a shop, and I had them work on it, and a couple hundred dollars later, it was all fixed. The speedometer matched the actual speed or close enough that it was supposed to be going. I had, took my receipts in hand and I went before the judge and I pleaded my case. I said, officer, I know I was going too fast, and, but I didn't know that I was going that fast. And I got it fixed. Even the shop said, yeah, it was off by this many miles per hour and they fixed the issue. The judge heard my case and he said, are we okay here, Chris? Or I will pull it away just a little bit. All right. So the judge told me, he said, you know, you're responsible for your vehicle. You're responsible for the speed that you're going, so I'm not going to dismiss the case. I'm going to make you pay the fine. So now I've paid a couple hundred dollars to fix the vehicle. I have a fine, and I have points on my license. Have you ever had to ask for mercy from someone before? Have you ever been in a situation like that where you had to ask for mercy from a judge? Maybe you got pulled over and you had to ask mercy from the police officer. Have you ever been in a position like that where you had to plead for mercy? This morning we're going to look at one of the men God used to show mercy to a lost people. His name is Jonah. 
Many of us know the book of Jonah for the story of Jonah and the whale. That story is only one small part of the entire book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is only four chapters long, but there's so much in there. There's so much about God. There's so much about us. There's one common theme throughout the book that we're going to look at this morning, and that's the theme of the mercy of God. Who was Jonah? I know you all turned to Jonah, but I'm going to start us in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 says this. He, and it's talking about Jeroboam II there, you have to understand the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jeroboam II is ruling over the northern part of Israel. He, Jeroboam II, restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Jonah was a historical person. Jonah was a prophet. The name Jonah means dove. Jonah was from an actual location, Gath-Hefer, a city near Nazareth. Jonah had been given a message to give to the king. He served as a court prophet. If you look back in verse 24 of chapter 14, it says, And he, referring to Jeroboam again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeroboam wasn't a great king. He did not follow God. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. However, Jonah brought a message. A lot of prophets would bring messages to either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, and usually they were messages of destruction, messages of despair, messages of, you need to get this right or God's going to come and he's going to wipe you out. However, Jonah brought a different message we see from this verse. Jonah brought a message of prosperity. Jonah brought a message that their kingdom was going to expand. Jonah became a popular guy because he brought a really good message. Then we move to the book of Jonah. The, verse, the book starts out very abruptly. Jonah, Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah fled from God. Jonah went down to Joppa, he paid the fare, and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. Because Jonah was a court prophet, he had prophesied to Jeroboam, and it was a good prophecy, like everybody liked him. He probably was a pretty wealthy guy. He probably lived in the, the king's court. So Jonah would be walking away from all of that wealth. Jonah would be walking away from his position. I have a couple of maps this morning. This one it's, might be a little hard to see, but I tried to circle them. Joppa is on the coast there of the Mediterranean Sea over by Israel, 
and Nineveh is way up there in the far right corner. It was quite some distance, a distance of about 550 miles between Joppa and Nineveh. If we look at this map, we can see a little bit better. Nineveh is 550 miles that way. Jonah gets on a boat that's going 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Jonah's trying to go 3,000 miles away from where God is calling him to go. I tried to put this in a context of what would that be like for us today? Like we're in Battle Creek, Michigan. We don't know this area of the world as well. The distance from Battle Creek to Anchorage, Alaska, if you flew a plane, is about 3,000 miles. That's the distance that Jonah was trying to get away from God. He was trying to travel as far away from God as he possibly could. This journey just from Joppa to Tarshish probably would have taken a year to 18 months at sea. They would have gone up around the coast. They would have stopped at several ports, and they had exports that they were taking. The story actually tells us they dumped some of that cargo off trying to save themselves. So they would have stopped along the way and dropped things off. They would have picked up more supplies because obviously there was a crew there, and so they would have had to have food, drinking water. Now, they could have caught fish, obviously, but they would have had to have more supplies than just the travelers. They might even have to have people on there, people like a cook, people like guys who would row, people who knew how to direct and navigate according to the stars because they didn't have GPS back then. Once you got out on the water, have you ever been out in the middle of Lake Michigan and not known where you were, got turned around? That's scary. I've never done it, but I can imagine being in the middle of water, looking all around, and all you see is water. They had to learn to navigate by the stars. They had to learn to navigate according to where things were in the sky. Otherwise, they would get lost and they would just drift aimlessly out there in the sea. So Jonah was making an effort to go as far away from God as he possibly could. Jonah's trying to put a lot of space between himself and Nineveh. Nineveh is part of the Assyrian Empire. I've got a couple pictures. don't know how well you can see it there, but Nineveh was located on the edge of the Tigris River. And that's kind of an artist's rendering. This is another picture of kind of excavation work that's been done of, of one of the gates. There's a wall around the city. Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. One commentary said this. Assyria was one of the most brutal nations of the ancient world. They were feared and dreaded by all the peoples of that day. They used very cruel methods of torture and could extract information from their captives very easily. The Assyrians were ruthless people. They were evil, wicked people, and that evil came up before God, and God said, Jonah, you need to go and you need to tell them that because of their evil, I'm going to destroy them. The book of Nahum actually is a prophecy against Nineveh. So if you want to read more about Nineveh, I encourage you to look at Nahum. He talks about Nineveh and what they were like. Jonah was fleeing because he hated the people of Nineveh. The Assyrians and the nation of Israel did not get along. They fought. The Assyrians would come in and conquer them. Jonah did not like those people. So 
So Jonah was trying to flee because he didn't like them. I, I, he also was afraid of going to Nineveh. If they were a cruel people and he brought a message that God was going to destroy them, what were they going to do to him? How were they going to persecute him? How were they going to punish him? I want to see this morning how God shows mercy to sinners. Let's look at verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The Lord hurled a great wind. Why didn't he just... Forget about Jonah. Pick a different prophet. Why would God do this? Because God gives mercy in the wind. God could have sent a wind and just wiped Jonah out and said, I'm going to send a different prophet now. God didn't do that. God sends mercy in the wind. It would not have been normal for sailors to travel during a rainy season. They knew when the rainy season was, they would not go out to sea. It was very, very, um, very bad for them to do that because the rains would come up, the waves would come up, and it would just tear the boat apart. So they wouldn't have left during a rainy season. This storm comes up, they know it's a miraculous storm. They know something's going on. This is not normal. We've sailed all of our lives, and this has never happened before is what they're saying. This is not a normal storm. But God sends this wind, which causes this great storm, And they were shocked, they were surprised, and they were greatly, greatly afraid. God provided just enough danger in the wind to get Jonah back on track. God provided just enough danger in the wind to get Jonah headed back in the right direction. God knew exactly what needed to happen to Jonah in order to get him to return to what he was commanded to do. I found this quote online, and it's from an unknown author, but it says, Sometimes you must hurt in order to know. You must fall in order to grow. Lose in order to gain, because most of life's greatest lessons are learned through pain. See, God sent mercy in the wind. It was a painful experience. They were very afraid. But it was merciful because God wanted Jonah to get back headed in the right direction. God sends, sometimes sends just enough wind to get us out of our boat. Sometimes it's painful. We don't always understand the circumstances. However, it pushes us in the direction that God wants us to go. Sometimes life's greatest lessons are learned through pain. The rest of chapter 1 tells us about the familiar story of Jonah aboard this ship. The storms come up, the sailors wake up Jonah, and they're like, Jonah, wake up. You need to pray to your God. We've been praying to our gods. These sailors obviously had multiple gods. They did not worship one god, but they had multiple gods. So they were praying to the god of the sea, the god of the air. Any God that they thought would answer them. So they wake up Jonah and they're like, Jonah, wake up. You need to pray to your God. They have this conversation with Jonah and come to find out. Jonah says, well, it's the God of the sea who I worship. The sea and the air and everything in them. And they were like, oh, what's your fault then? 
So they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. Jonah tells them to hurl him overboard. But they don't want to do that. They don't want to anger his God because they threw him over. So instead, they start throwing their cargo off the ship. Cargo that was probably very expensive. There probably was gold. There probably was silver. There probably was, was um, wine that had been made that was being transported. There could have been lumber that was being transported. These were very expensive supplies, and they were just tossing them overboard. There could have been clothes. There could have been all sorts of things. But it didn't matter at that point because they didn't want to die. And they want, didn't want this storm to keep happening because they threw Jonah overboard too. So they thought, well, we're just going to throw our cargo over. But that didn't do anything. So then, their last resort, they tossed Jonah overboard. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah... And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah's thrown over into the sea. Again, look around. There's nothing. You can't see anything for as far as the eye can see except for water. It's the Mediterranean Sea. He's in the middle of the sea. There's a storm going, so there's big waves. And it's scary. God sends a great fish, it says. And God gives mercy in the fish. Again, God didn't kill them through the storm. And the Bible actually tells us that those sailors worshipped God and made vows to him. So God affected those sailors as well. But Jonah's in the water. He's struggling. And the Bible tells us that God appointed a great fish. And God gives mercy in the fish. We're told that it's a large fish, and we don't know exactly what it was. A lot of stories say Jonah and the whale. It could have very well been a whale. It could have just been a large fish. It could have been a fish that God had specifically designed for this purpose. When I was thinking along those, those ideas, it, just, it was just an ev- a miraculous event. No matter whether it was a whale or it was a specially designed fish, It was a miraculous event that only could have happened through God. All of chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer. So Jonah's swallowed by a fish. He's in it three days and three nights. And somewhere during that time, Jonah has this prayer. And I want to read a portion of it, verses 7 through 9. Jonah says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope. Of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah chooses to repent, he chooses to turn back to God. He says, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the vows that I had made. I remembered that I was a prophet of God. And I was called to be a prophet of God no matter whether it was a good message or a bad message. I remembered that I was a prophet of God whether it was a popular message, whether it was a message to the nation of Israel, or whether it was to a nation that I hated, the Assyrians, a people group that lived in there called the Ninevites. It didn't matter, but he had made vows that he was a prophet of God. 
And God had called him to prophesy, and he'd run away from that call. This is a point you'll probably never see again, but let's read verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God gives mercy in the vomit. Again, Jonah didn't die from the storm. Jonah didn't die from from being swallowed by a fish. If the fish had just digested him, he would be dead and that would be over. That didn't happen, but Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. And it says that the fish vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Where did the fish vomit Jonah? Dry land. The fish could have vomited him out in the middle of the sea again, and here's Jonah stuck. And he could have been, ah, I don't know how to swim. (laughs) Big waves. But no. God sends the fish to place Jonah. It's not the prettiest way to place him, but God sends the fish to place Jonah on dry ground. And he vomits Jonah out onto dry land. Jonah still had a voyage to make. A lot of times we don't think about that. Jonah had been in the Mediterranean Sea along the coast there. The fish comes up to the dry ground to to the edge and vomits him out. Well, there's still about 500 miles that Jonah has to travel probably from about the spot where the fish would vomit him out all the way back up to Nineveh. So he still had a journey to make. And we're not told much about that journey, but he has a journey to make. And I'm sure he's thinking about all the stuff that just happened to him. I don't know what he smelled like. I don't know what he looked like. Some people say that if somebody was swallowed by a fish like this, just the digestive juices and stuff would bleach the skin white. It could have eaten away at his clothes, but God could have miraculously provided none of that to happen too. We're not told any of that. I don't know what happened to the sailors. Did they see Jonah get swallowed by a large fish? And if so, did they go back to the coast and start telling people what's going on? I don't know. But either way, Jonah has this long journey. He has 500 miles to travel. And he's got to be thinking about just everything that just happened to him. These two points reminded me of the story of Rudolph. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. He had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer, they used to laugh and call him names like Pinocchio. (laughs) They never let poor Rudolph join in any of their reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Then... And only then, all of the other reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in history. In this song, Rudolph saved Christmas because he's an unlikely hero. All his life, he's been teased because of his red, glowing nose. Now, obviously, this is a fictional story, but God does sometimes send unlikely heroes. God sent a fish to save Jonah. God caused that fish to go to dry land and vomit Jonah out. So God gave mercy in the fish. Sometimes God sends 
unlikely heroes, and it doesn't exactly make sense to us. Sometimes we're the person that God has created for the exact moment and purpose that someone else needs. Sometimes we're that person that's the unlikely hero. So how does God show mercy to sinners? Well, God gives mercy to the people of Nineveh. I want to read through chapter 3, Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God gives mercy when there is repentance. God gives mercy when there is repentance. Jonah's given a second chance. Jonah's placed upon dry ground, and again, God says to him, you need to go and you need to give the people of Nineveh this message. This time, Jonah understands, okay, this didn't work out well the last time. I'm going to go the right way this time. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the people of Nineveh, and I'm going to give them this message. He gives them the message, but what you don't see here are the things that history tells us. History tells us that God has been working to prepare the people of Nineveh. There have been two severe plagues right around the time that Jonah, we believe Jonah would have been going to prophesy at Nineveh. Two severe plagues that would have gone against the gods that they worshipped. There also was a solar eclipse. Anytime something like that happened, they thought something was happening to the sun. And so it would have gone against the God that they worshipped of the sun. So God has already been providing events in the Ninevites' life to prepare them for this message. A message that in the Hebrew is only five words. That's what Jonah went to tell them. In the English, he said this, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah didn't offer any hope. Jonah just said, 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. You'll be destroyed. He probably went in through a main gate to give his message. He would have walked by lots of people. And he probably went to a common area of the city where there would have been lots of people gathered. And he said, 40 days and your city will be destroyed. That's the message I got for you. Have a good night. And then he walked away. But the people heard that message and they responded. They repented. They said, we're going to be in sackcloth and ashes. And the king even heard it, and he said, he took off his royal robe. He put himself in a different position, and he put himself, put sackcloth on, which is like goat skin. It was real rough and not comfortable at all. And he put that on himself, and and he sat in ashes, and it it was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of them saying, 
We understand we're doing wrong, and we're sorry for what we've been doing. We're not going to do this. God relented. God turned from what he said he was going to do. You say, but I thought God always, God didn't change his mind. When I was studying this, a professor said this, God has a right to change when he has set the standard for what needs to happen. God has a right to change when he has set the standard for what has to happen. God had set a standard that he is holy. They were not meeting that. They were an evil people. God set a standard they needed to repent, and he would not destroy them. And that was the standard they did. They repented of what they were doing. A mother once approached Napoleon, seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor Napoleon replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice, not just once. And this justice demanded death. The mother said, but I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. Napoleon responded, but your son does not deserve mercy. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. God is willing to show mercy to those who ask. To those who respond in repentance to him, God is willing to show mercy. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. To sum up the book of Jonah, read verse 2 with me again. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that from the beginning. Jonah knew that from the start. He knew that God was going to do this. He knew if he went and took this message, there was a chance that the people of Nineveh would respond and God wouldn't destroy them. Jonah might have had thoughts like this one. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Jonah wanted to see him destroyed. He might have thought that For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Psalm 145. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Jonah wanted to see these people destroyed. He was upset when God didn't do it. He had these thoughts that these were wicked people. God needed to destroy them. But they repented and God relented. God teaches Jonah about mercy. God teaches Jonah about mercy in verses 6 through 11. Jonah may have looked like this young boy. He walked outside the city. He sat down and he waited He was waiting for that fire and sulfur to rain down from heaven. God wasn't doing it. Each day passed. It's supposed to happen in 40 days. Each day passed. Didn't happen. Jonah just sits there and he keeps getting more and more upset. But Jonah teaches, God teaches Jonah about mercy. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah 
that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you, well to do, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah responded, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah's upset. God sends a plant. We don't know exactly what kind of plant. It's believed it's probably a castor oil plant that grew up next to the lean-to that Jonah had made and provided some shade. God then provided a worm, much like this one, and the worm ate at the plant until the plant withered, and then God provided a scorching east wind that blew across and, and made Jonah really hot, hot enough that he was like, oh, man, this is, this is too much for me. But God was trying to teach Jonah a lesson about mercy. God says, a plant really means nothing. Jonah, you say you, want, you feel sorry for that plant? And God says, if you think you were upset about a plant withering, how upset do you think I would be if one person died? How upset do you think I would be if 120,000 people died because they didn't turn from their sin? You're the reason I gave them an opportunity. I gave you a message to bring them. I wanted to offer them mercy. We're not going to have time to look at this story this morning, but Matthew 18, verse 23 through 33, Jesus tells a parable about mercy. The parable says that there was a king who he decided to call in all of his debts. And there was one man who owed him lots of money. It would have been an entire year's worth of wages and beyond. And the man was going to be thrown into prison until he could pay for that, which he was never going to be able to pay for it. And the man pleaded with his master and said, Master, please, for just, just please don't do that. I'll try to pay it back. The master, because of the servant's pleading, decided to offer mercy. That servant went out and found a man who owed him $100, not a lifetime's worth of wages and more, but $100 and said, you, you need to pay me back. And the man pleaded with him, but that servant said, you're going to go to jail. I'm going to send you to jail because you couldn't pay me back. When the master heard of what his servant had done, that he'd thrown the other servant in jail, he said, why did you do that? I forgave you. I gave you mercy. Why didn't you show mercy to others? That parable is an example for us that God has shown us mercy. We need to be willing to show mercy to others. God's mercy is coupled with exactly what we need. God sent Jonah a storm. God sent Jonah a fish. God spewed Jonah out of the fish onto dry ground. He made sure that happened. God sent the Ninevites... A Jonah. And God offered mercy in all of those circumstances. And it was exactly what needed to happen. So how does God offer mercy to sinners today? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son to offer mercy to us. Maybe this is the first time you've heard about God and his mercy. Maybe this morning you need to ask God for forgiveness and mercy. Max Lucado is a famous Christian author. He gives this story. He said, some months ago I was late to catch a plane out of the San Antonio airport. I wasn't terribly late, but I was late enough to be bumped and have my seat given to a standby passenger. When the ticket agent told me that I would have to miss my flight, I put to work my best persuasive powers. He said, but the flight hasn't left yet. She said, yes, but you got here too late. I got here before the plane left. Is that too late? She said, the regulation says you must arrive 10 minutes before the flight is scheduled to depart. That was two minutes ago. But ma'am, he pleaded, I've got to be in Houston by this evening. She was patient but firm. She said, I'm sorry, sir, but the rules say passengers must be at the gate 10 minutes before scheduled departure time. I know what the rules say, he explained, but I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. She didn't give in to him. But God does. God does offer us mercy. Even though by his law, we are guilty. By God's love, we get another chance. Even though we're indicted by his law, by mercy, I'm given a fresh start. The Bible says, for it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. God offers us grace. God sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, for the things we've done wrong, so that we could be back into a relationship with him. He offers you mercy and grace. If that's something you'd like to learn more about, I'd love to talk to you about it. Pastor John would love to talk to you about it. And I'd love to tell you more about how God offers you grace and mercy. For those of us who have already done that this morning, do you respond in mercy as God has shown you mercy? God shows all of us mercy like Jonah. Do you notice that God is always right there? No matter how far away Jonah was trying to get, God was right there. God is always right there, willing to show you mercy. You respond in mercy as God has shown you mercy. I invite you to ask God to show you how to be more merciful towards others. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe you need to learn to be more merciful towards her. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you need to learn to offer them more mercy during their mistakes. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you need to be more merciful when they don't quite live up to your expectations. But can you show others mercy like God has shown you mercy? Sometimes God wants us to share a message, share his message with people we don't think deserve to be saved like the Ninevites. See, Jonah was a great theologian. He knew who God was. He says so in verse 2 of chapter 4. But Jonah was a horrible missionary. He was a horrible missionary. He didn't want to go to the people that God was sending him. Is God sending you to share his message of mercy with others? Let me close in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the book of Jonah. God, I thank you for Jonah's example. God, I pray that 
you would help, help each of us. God, if there's here, those here who do not know about your mercy, I pray, God, that you would guide them, help them to learn more about you and your plan for their lives. God, for those of us who do know about your mercy, God, I pray, help us to be more merciful. Help us not to judge others, but help us to show love and mercy to others. Help us to be a reflection of the mercy that you have shown us. God, we are like the Ninevites. We've done horrible things in our lives. But God, you forgive us. If we ask, if we ask you, you forgive us of the things we've done. God, I pray that you help us to forgive others as you have forgiven us. God, I thank you for your mercy. Help us to show your mercy to others. In Jesus' name, amen.